Welcome to the inaugural Aramark's Leaders Corner podcast. Leaders Corner is a podcast that will focus on bringing thoughtful discussions, engaging content, and various perspectives meant to engage leaders and employees of African descent. LEAD is an employer resource group within Aramark dedicated to the interest of employees who self-identify as Black, African American, West Indian, or of African descent. The group's vision is to cultivate Black leaders at Aramark, empower the communities in which we operate, and push innovation in the service industry. Now, a mindfulness moment. Instead of managing your time, think about how you can manage your energy instead. All the calendars, to-do list, bullet journals are useless if you are too fatigued to accomplish the task on those lists. Consider six ways to gain more energy. Some of them will take time out of your schedule, but the energy they give back will help you achieve more in the time that you have. Number one, get enough sleep. Two, maintain an exercise routine. Three, turn off your phone. Four, set ambitious but realistic goals. Five, figure out which activities energize you. And six, arrange your schedule to suit your energy levels. Now, Juneteenth. The New York Times describes Juneteenth as follows. On June 19, 1865, about two months after Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered at Appomattox, Virginia, Gordon Granger, a Union general, arrived in Galveston, Texas, to inform enslaved African Americans of their freedom and that the Civil War had ended. General Granger's announcement put into effect the Emancipation Proclamation, which had been issued more than two and a half years earlier on January 1st, 1863, by President Abraham Lincoln. Again from the New York Times. For some, it's eating barbecue, shooting fireworks, gathering at a cookout, and sipping on red drinks, a tradition that symbolizes the perseverance and honors the blood that was shed of African Americans. For others, it's shopping at Black-owned businesses, sharing history, or simply just resting at home. The holiday received its name by combining June and the number 19. Today is also sometimes called Juneteenth, Independence Day, Freedom Day, or Emancipation Day. To discuss Juneteenth and how Aramark is advancing the spirit of the holiday, we have Dr. F. Carl Walton, Vice Chancellor of Student Affairs at Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Camille Mosley, who is a Director of Business Development for Aramark with a specialization in HBCUs or Historically Black Colleges and Universities. Dr. F. Carl Walton recently joined the faculty at Southern University in Baton Rouge 
in July of 2020 as the Vice Chancellor for Student Affairs. Dr. Walton holds a PhD and a master's degree in political science from Purdue University and a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science from Morris Brown College in Atlanta, Georgia. Prior to joining Southern, Dr. Walton served as the Vice President for Student Affairs at Savannah State University for almost six years. Also, as a Professor of Political Science and the Vice President for Student Affairs at Lincoln University for 10 years. He also served as a member of the political science faculty at Morris Brown College in Atlanta, Georgia, and taught political science at the University of Georgia in Athens. Dr. Walton's research focuses on legislative politics and black political organizations. Additionally, he has studied and presented research on the Congressional Black Caucus and published a chapter on the Christian Leadership Conference, Beyond the Civil Rights Movement, Black Political Organizations in the Post-Civil Rights Era. In addition to his contributions to the student affairs arena, he has been quite active in his profession. Dr. Walton has served as an American Political Science Association Congressional Fellow and has worked in the office of Congressman Sanford D. Bishop of Georgia. He also participated in the New York University Faculty Resource Network Scholar-in-Residence program during the summer of 2001. He has always seen his professional role as expanding far beyond the classroom and has advised numerous student organizations. While at Morris Brown, he served as the director of Albert Edmonds Student Leadership Program at Lincoln he served as an advisor to the Political Science Club, the Student Government Association, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, and participant on numerous panels that address issues of student concern. Dr. Walton holds memberships in Student Affairs Administrations in Higher Education, the American Political Science Association, and the Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Dr. Walton, Mrs. Mosley, thank you for joining our conversation, and let's jump right in where I ask Dr. Walton to describe Juneteenth to us. Juneteenth, uh, which is observed on June 19th, uh, commemorates the day uh, that General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas, and, and informed the African-Americans there of their freedom uh, and that the Civil War had ended. Uh, so because he arrived there on that day, that's viewed as the day of celebration and commemoration. Were they aware of the emancipation and who won the war? Or was this, <laughs> you know, or did they just ignore it until they were forced to make a decision? Uh, well, uh, much of the information indicates that people were aware uh, it had occurred as, you know, back in 1863. And so people did know uh, that, that slavery had, in fact, ended uh, based on the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863. Uh, but this formalized it, I would say, for the state of Texas. But no, people knew they were aware uh, throughout the South. But there is, you know, Dr. Walton, 
folklore that has suggested that the message somehow took a long time to get to Texas. Now, again, that's folklore, but yes. um, I can see where people could be highly motivated not to make this news evident early. Absolutely. And, and I've often heard it in, in that context. Uh, that that word got to Texas on that day and thus Juneteenth. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are the origins of celebrating the holiday? Is it in Galveston? Did it start somewhere else? Uh, you know, was it in 1866? When exactly was the origin? And then how did it spread throughout the United States? I, I think that, you know, from what I understand, it did start in Galveston, but I think it's spread like many traditions have done historically in the African-American community through oral traditions. Um, and Dr. Walton was actually just sharing about a holiday that was celebrating African-American freedom that occurred in Georgia, where he grew up. And I think it's yes. a good example of how the notion of this freedom, this declaration of freedom, continued to manifest itself in different ways across the African-American community. And I think the, the beauty of Juneteenth, as we know it today, is that we've kind of landed on a day. But I think that it's really important for anybody who's curious about it to begin to look at what were the stories where you came from? What were the origins from your space? Because I think you'll find different stories, like Dr. Walton. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I grew up uh, in Middle Georgia in a small town, Barnesville, Georgia. And in the neighboring town, which is Thomaston, Georgia, I can remember all the way back to my childhood, and it was going on many years before that, that they had a large Emancipation Day celebration there uh, each year. Uh, and it included uh, a parade, uh, various festivals, a festival-type atmosphere. Uh, as well as a speaker and program, so that was the educational component to it, then that was the festival component to it. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when it started there, but I do know that it was the commemoration of emancipation and arguably when the word got to Thomaston, Georgia, uh, that the slaves were in fact free. I think you, you mentioned earlier about other celebrations, um, uh, celebrations dated as far back as 1866. I'm not sure when it first started in Georgia, but as far as back as 1866, and they spread throughout the South. And I think they manifested themselves in various ways, depending on that community and what that community would allow and what the people in those communities were able to do. But Texas was the first state to designate a specific holiday, Juneteenth, as a holiday. Um, and they did that in 1980 though there have been other states that have followed since with the commemorations. But, but I think also uh, in that regard, I think it also says something about, about people taking their own agency to create their own yeah. celebration. While it may have taken that long for a legislature to do it and to decide that it would be a holiday in that state or, or you know, and you know, while there are states that have it as a holiday, there are other states that have it as an observance, but not a holiday. But I think that the celebrations that started so much earlier were about African-Americans in those communities taking on their own ability and their own responsibility to celebrate themselves and the accomplishments of, of, within, within Black communities. So 
So I think that's also something that we have to, that we can't lose in that regard. I think that's a really powerful message because frankly, we have quite often had to decide what we will claim as important to us and create whatever ritual ceremony or actions will occur based on what we value. And I think that's also uh, a really powerful thing about Juneteenth. It's, uh, it's ours, we've claimed it and celebrated. It wasn't recognized you know, officially by a state as a holiday until 1980, and in some states probably before then as an observance. But where were these celebrations you know, being held and what were things that were done in the celebrations? Well, Andrew, we've been celebrating what's important to us for most of our lives. For most of our time in this nation, we have, again, using Dr. Walton's word, taken agency. You know, we have to decide what's important to us. And the places where we see these celebrations are the places which, you know, are anchors of our community. You mentioned the church, absolutely. You know, the church is going to be where we'll celebrate and we'll get preached about. We will eat and celebrate. We'll have a, a great big lunch. We'll use traditional foods. We'll create activities for young people. Um, the church, again, like everything else, anchors so much of what we've done. We do it in our community centers. We will find a space to own whatever is important to us. And I think Juneteenth is just another example of that. Absolutely. Our, our churches and our HBCUs, that's where uh, so much of what we do uh, uh, originated. Uh, those were the places that, that, that Blacks were most free uh, prior to even the Civil Rights Movement, you know, in our churches and in our colleges and universities, you know, which, of course, were even founded as, as, a, as a part of the liberation movement. Uh, and so it is out of those institutions uh, that, that, that we taught. Many of our schools were founded out of our churches. Mm -hmm. So there goes, that, that's the connection uh, between all of that. And, and, and it's always been about, you know, you know your own self-awareness and creating self-awareness. Uh, and, that's, and that's what communities, you know, have to always remember to tell their story. What are some common misconceptions that, you know, we have about Juneteenth? Well, uh, that, that slaves didn't find out until 1865 that they were free. <laughs> People yeah. knew uh, prior to that time uh, that <laughs> Juneteenth marked the end of slavery. It did not. Um, so that, that's just, that's two uh, that you will sometimes hear, uh, hear about. And then you also, you know, have to know that there were two states uh, that uh, slavery did Slavery ended in those states that had seceded, but there were two states that did not secede and therefore were not covered by the proclamation in Kentucky and Delaware. And it was the 13th Amendment that ended slavery there. Okay. So the Southern states, so the Emancipation Proclamation covered the states that seceded from the Union. Delaware and Kentucky did not. And so it took until the 13th Amendment was adopted to include all of those states and to actually only end slavery. No, well, I think that the real power of conversations like these is that it's got to pique your interest about what else we don't know. Um, and fortunately, we have access via technology to do some deeper dives, you know, and we've got, 
you know, streaming channels that talk about the deeper dive because our history is so rich um, and is so nuanced that, you know, we've got to seize every opportunity we can to drop a little knowledge and make you curious and want more. And I think that this Juneteenth podcast is, is a good example. I know everybody's sitting now Googling saying, well, what happened in Delaware and Kentucky? And that's exactly what we want to stimulate with this. But you also begin to see where that alignment falls when we look at where we have HBCUs across the nation. Um, one of the things I'm able, fortunate enough to be able to do is work with historically black colleges and universities. And when people ask, well, where are HBCUs? Um, I tell folks they're generally where in the states where slaves were held and the two states that slaves escaped to, Pennsylvania and Ohio. And so you've got a whole movement around education that emerged from these geographies which I think is important for people to understand. That's why we don't have HBCUs in Montana or in Vermont, but it really is, you know, where they were held in those two states where slaves, enslaved people escaped to, in many cases yeah. before going to Canada. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, and uh, when you mentioned Pennsylvania, that brings something to mind. I had the opportunity to work at Lincoln University of mm -hmm. Pennsylvania uh, which was founded in 1854 uh, for 10 years. And of course, the other HBCU there is Cheney University, which was founded in 1837. And these are pre-emancipation institutions uh, and certainly, of course, pre-Juneteenth institutions, but they were educating, you know, black folk in those communities who came via the Underground Railroad to get there. And so there are not, a lot of avenues through which people got to those states. And so, you know, in their, in their escape. So uh, amazing history. It is wonderful to be able to draw these connections. The notion that enslaved people would say, hmm, I want education. And they didn't say, I want a one-room schoolhouse. I think I'll build a little school. They were building universities. You know, if you think you're talking about a people who were actually forbidden to learn how to read, to dream big enough and expansively enough to say, no, I want a university. To me, that just speaks volumes about both the struggle and overcoming the struggle that we've got consistent history demonstrating that we're gonna make it happen anyway. We're gonna own the story. We're gonna own the mechanism for delivering the story. And we're going to own our history and we're going to own our destiny. But you know, just think about it. You're a slave and you say, I think I want a university. That's bold thinking. You it's want really education bold. before you want your freedom or before you get your freedom, right. you say that. Right. Like, I'm not going to let this other artifice that you created stop me from being a free thinker. And I think that that's just really powerful. I think that's why institutions like Southern University are so important. You know, they, these places have deep roots with powerful stories to tell. And, you know, they aren't 
Um, this is not a trend that we're in where we've got a lot of energy around HBCUs. We've been doing this a while. And I think, and Dr. Walton, you can speak about Southern's roots because there's yeah. bloodshed on this campus. When we look at the history yeah. of what we've been able to fight for on this campus, and I'm going to I'm going to let you talk about your house. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. You're, you're good. You're good. But uh, Southern University uh, founded in, in 1880 and moved to this, to this site in, in 1914. And this is a former plantation uh, where we sit today. And uh, the, uh, the remaining building uh, is still on the campus. There's one remaining building from that era that's still on the campus. And that's uh, the, uh, the White House. It's also known as the archive uh, that sits right on the bluff uh, on the river. Uh, and uh, it, it serves as the archives for the institution, but it was once the president's house. Uh, it's been classrooms. It's been, it, it has had a number of uses throughout the years. Because when the university arrived here, that was the building that was here. You know, so the university has, has built, has come out from that place. But uh, absolutely a rich history and a rich contributor uh, to the Scotlandville area of Baton Rouge, to Baton Rouge in general, to the state of Louisiana, and my Southern folk will want me to say to this country and to the world. How does Southern University play a role in the history of Juneteenth so, and moving forward in, in African American culture? So, so, so Southern, uh, Southern uh, is. I think we look at Southern and HBCUs. They're all. Uh, manifestations of liberation and ways in which uh, we provided for liberation of, uh, of our people, uh, of, our, of, of our community, of Black people, of our community. Uh, they were founded, uh, Southern was founded as a place to educate uh, folk in Southern Louisiana, probably initially, uh, but around, from, from around the world. Uh, in a place that they could, they were free to come and learn and to learn about, you know, themselves. I mean, being founded in 1880, that's not a long time uh, after, the, after the emancipation. Uh, it's certainly during the Jim Crow era. So if you look at the fact that these institutions, Southern, uh, was founded in a time where segregation surrounded it, but, you know, it provided a place for people to come on this campus, you know, and still uh, achieve acquire an education, a great education, an education that prepared you know, them to lead and to go and serve uh, and to create opportunities for other folks. Uh, Southern also has a law center on the campus. And of course, many of the black law schools came out of the fact that the state law school that was historically white uh, did not want to allow or would not allow mm -hmm. African-Americans to attend. Uh, and so you have these initial, you know, law centers that came about. Of course, regardless of why, they are so much more than that. And, uh, and Southern University Law Center uh, educates many of the lawyers in the state of Louisiana. If you look at the Louisiana State Legislature, uh, many lawyers of, of both races are, are educated at the Southern University Law Center. So, so what, uh, you look at the humble beginnings of institutions. And if you look at them in context of today, uh, I think it's just an amazing, an amazing tribute uh, to, to, to what can be done uh, and what was done, has been done, and what we will continue to do uh, as institutions. Camille, can, can you, uh, in two parts, one, speak about, you know, how 
Aramark is partnering with HBCUs and what we have coming in the pipeline and um, and are, are developing the partnerships with, and specifically your role in that? I'm living my dream job right now, Andrew. Um, I get a chance to be on campuses that mean a lot to me emotionally, um, mean a lot to me in terms of the legacy that I'd like to leave. Um, I've got an opportunity to speak with students, create career opportunities for students, um, identify ways that we can impact the experiences of institutions and their students, and frankly, um, support some of the financial goals that these institutions are trying to achieve. Um, so I'm Director of Business Development in Aramark Higher Education with a specific focus on HBCUs. Um, and so I'm on campuses trying to grow the Aramark footprint. Um, we have a number of HBCUs that we work with already throughout the South um, and in Pennsylvania. Uh, remember those other two states that I told you that both go to. Um, and we do dining and facility services in these institutions. Is it is this a new focus to focus on HBCUs? How, do you know how this came about? Is this something that you were pushing towards of like, hey, I want to do this. I think we should focus here. I was brought on specifically for this role. Um, okay. And during my time here, uh, we, we've always had HBCU clients. So I don't want you to think that we weren't doing it and then magically we were. We've always had HBCU clients. I think what um, I've been able to do is expand that footprint a little bit. I think educate us about the value proposition that HBCUs bring to Aramark. Often we talk about the client value prop. Um, we have an opportunity to use HBCUs the way other companies have as a real resource around talent, around ideas, around big thinking, um, around expanding the hospitality message. And so that's where my focus has been over the last few years. We're particularly energized now. Um, frankly, like most Fortune 500 companies are in terms of really taking a longer and harder look at how we can both be good corporate partners, good corporate citizens, and also how we can leverage the relationships that we have to do better from a social justice perspective, to do better from perspective of building more diverse and inclusive communities. And so I'm trying to do all those things, frankly, every day that I wake up and talk to students, talk to presidents, talk to CFOs, talk to student affairs, talk to auxiliary services, just trying to create new experiences. I, I envision it as a partnership that's going to provide uh, resources and opportunities to benefit our students. Uh, that are going to help our students uh, to become, you know, even, you know, better and, 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 and productive professionals via the kinds of opportunities that Aramark, you know, offers. I mean, I, the partnership here 
Uh, I've been extremely uh, impressed with the partnership here uh, since I arrived uh, on the campus 11 months ago. Um, the number of students that are able to find employment because of Airmark, but beyond that, uh, the internship opportunities that exist here, uh, the marketing internship program, uh, the internship program with the food and nutrition department. Uh, I'm especially impressed by the fact that there are partnerships that span the academic and student affairs realm uh, so often uh, because food service tends to be a part of student affairs or auxiliary services. Oftentimes, there's not as much a relationship between food service and the academic enterprise on campus. And the fact that that exists here uh, is quite progressive uh, and it's something that is uh, something that, that should be recognized. Uh, and, and we hope to even build upon it. Um, the Dining Ambassador Program is just, Aramark has really provided ways for our students to gain uh, additional training and additional skill sets uh, that are going to, you know, benefit them as they go out into their professional lives. I think the other thing that's really important for me, um, and frankly, Dr. Walton was triggered when you said professionalized, this college campus is where our students begin to get a feeling of their worth in the world. You know, they know their worth having come from their family, but going out into the world um, and being ready to go out into that world, I think when you go out feeling like your briefcase is full with all of the experiences that you need, not just the academic. It's the being ready for the job interview where it's a meal interview and you're in a fancy restaurant and your student is not floored by it because we've done etiquette training on the campus. They see a food and say, oh, I've had that on my campus because we've been developing their palates for the last three or four years. All of those give these students confidence to go out and know I'm worthy of top notch. I'm supposed to be in this space. I don't have to fall into that whole imposter syndrome. I am ready. And I think that the role that we can play in dining on our campuses with a lot of the elements that Dr. Walton talked about in terms of getting people ready for the world, emboldens them in a way that, frankly, the world should be ready for because they're going to come ready. That's a fantastic uh, response. It's growing the future leaders now, and it's the education is not just in the classroom, but it's in the dining room as well. It's it, it, it's it's ever evolving to make sure we meet the need and thinking 20 years down the road. So it's taken what we talked about, spoke about earlier with that, you know, you know, former or slaves starting university. Are HBCUs, are, are they in a renaissance right now or is the world catching up to what was already there? <laughs> we've been here. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we've, we've been here. We've got legacy. You know, we've got HBCUs that are experiencing their sesquicentennial, which is 150 years of being around, um, and we aren't going anywhere. You know, you cannot write HBCUs off um, because our churches will support them, our communities will support them. Um, we are 
these institutions are going to be here. I think what's exciting about this period that we're in um, is that one, there's an elevation of an of awareness around the disparities that have existed in the world, and frankly, the disparities that have existed on many of our campuses that have legislative roots that have made them seemingly more vulnerable. And so we're seeing a lot of philanthropy geared to beginning to write that. Um, but the institutions will be here. And the institutions, frankly, are being enhanced by this heightened awareness. And frankly, the U.S. economy and the global economy will reap the benefits of what some will call a rebirth, you know, some will just acknowledge, oh, we didn't know. But I think that the impact is going to be widely felt um, by the HBCU students and leaders that are coming out of this period. Well, I would say ditto <laughs> to everything that Ms. Mosley uh, just said. Uh, I, I'm an alum of an HBCU uh, and have spent much of my career working at HBCUs. Uh, they are all, you know, they have been different in their own way, but all with the same macro level purpose. Uh, uh, places where you can achieve a, a wonderful education and they prepare you to go and to serve anywhere and they prepare you to go to graduate school and professional school anywhere you want to go. And I think we just have to constantly make sure that people understand, remember that. Uh, but I am very pleased about, you know, the renewed interest uh, right now in HBCUs and in pro and providing them support. But it's just, it, it's, it's a recognition of the excellence that has always been there. And I agree 100% with, with what Ms. Mosley said. But Dr. Walton, uh, Mrs. Mosley, Camille, thank you so much for taking time every day to do this podcast with um, uh, this has been enlightening, engaging, and just fun. So thank you for your time today. I sincerely appreciate it. And thank you for being curious. I think that's an yeah. important first step. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of it. And thank you for your questions and your curiosity as well. The next Leaders Corner episode will be released on July 16th in the same manner as this. Be on the lookout for upcoming reminders. As you all know, June is Pride Month. Please help us celebrate Pride. They have had many great events thus far and many more for the remainder of June. Want to learn more about Aramark's DE&I initiatives? Join Ash Hansen. Aramark's Chief Diversity and Sustainability Officer, who will provide an overview of Aramark's DEI initiatives, including an overview of Aramark ERGs. Want to learn more about the inclusive language and creating an inclusive workplace? LGBTQ inclusive language is language that doesn't make assumptions or include negativity. Join this event to learn more about using inclusive language. If you'd like to join any of these events or join one of our global ERGs or local hubs, go to aramark.diverse.com. 
That is airmark.divest.com.